If you want a great conversation with a Philadelphia sports figure you should know more about, listen to one-on-one with Matt Leon on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. I'm Matt Leon. The Russia-Ukraine war continues. A conflict that many people thought might be over within a week with a Russian victory is now headed into month seven with Russia flailing, Ukraine holding strong, and the West united. But this is by no means over, and the rhetoric out of Russia is becoming more and more belligerent and even frightening. We wanted to talk about it all, so we spoke with a couple of experts we have touched base with multiple times since this war began. Dr. Lisa Baglioni, she is a professor of political science, and Dr. Melissa Chekar, she is a professor professor and chair of the Department of History, both at St. Joseph's University. I'll kind of ask this question of both of you. I'll start with you, Melissa. We are, I guess, bearing down the seventh month of this war that I think a lot of people thought was going to be over in a week with disastrous endings. And the script has completely flipped. It is Vladimir Putin who is scrambling, who is pulling out all the stops just to try to to save face. How surprised are you with how this thing has played out? You know, it's, <laughs> that's a good question. I would say at the very beginning of this, I thought we were going to be back in the Donbass, right? That this is was going to be about the Donbass. It was going to be at Luhansk, Donetsk, you know, these, these breakaway republics. There were going to be these referendums. So back in February 2022, I thought somehow we're going to end up back here. So in some sense, I feel like we we are now back here, but it's not the way I imagined it would go for sure. I, I did not expect the kind of resistance. I did not expect um, Russia to throw so much, so unorganized and so haphazardly at this war. Um, these are these are things that definitely surprised me. The fact that we're back with the referendums, though, I find that kind of where I sort of thought this was going to start from the very beginning. Lisa? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I I was very worried, like you said, that in that first week, the Russians would be able to crush Ukraine. And what a relief we all felt when the convoy was stopped and, and, and the progress wasn't made. It's amazing and, and a wonderful sign. I mean, I was very worried that the West could not hold, would not hold. And that is what Putin bet his mistakes on. I mean, I don't think he he thought it was going to take that, but I think he once once he ran into trouble, the guess was that the West would not hold, that it could not stay united. And and it's there's such a testament to the political action on the part of different members of the Western community, as well as amazing bravery and innovation among the Ukrainians. So you know, it's it's still a long slog, but as Melissa said, and you said in the opening, you know, Putin is on his heels and what's happened today, and even in the last two days, reveal that. Melissa, you mentioned the referendums, and can you just kind of explain, these are referendums in the east of Ukraine, in these, in these regions where there were a lot of Russian-speaking people, and these... I think you said sham referendums. Are these the type of things that we used to see in Iraq when Saddam Hussein would get 103% of the vote? Like it's already decided because it's not real? 
Yeah, this is absolutely already decided. So these are the leaders of these regions are Moscow appointed leaders. So these Moscow appointed leaders are holding referendums because Putin told them to. You know, if we look at this, this was going to happen. This There's been discussion about this for a long time. So there was a referendum in Crimea. We've seen Putin pull this card before in other regions. We've seen the Soviet Union use this card all the way back in the 1920s, having a, a, a fake region in eastern Siberia during the, during the Russian Civil War in order to slowly take that piece of territory. And we're just seeing this played out again and again and again. And here it is happening once more. Those regions do have a lot of Russian speakers in them, but there are a lot of people in those regions who want to stay a part of Ukraine. And I think if you were to hold a real legitimate referendum with the people who actually live there, it would be a real, it would be a, a very different result than what we're going to get, which is going to be somehow surprisingly, you know, 95% of the people are voting to join Russia. And those two of the regions, the Luhansk and the, and the Donetsk regions are, are part of of the Donbass. And those places have been in a pretty serious war between Russia and Ukraine over those two spaces since 2014. Maybe 15,000 people had already died in, in, in fighting in that area before February 2022 when this new, re, new uh, Russian invasion took place. But the new regions that have been added to this um, referendum are really interesting. That's Harrison and, and um, Zaporizhia. And, and these are only partially even taken. I mean, they don't even, for the Zaporizhian region, they don't even have, the Russians don't even control the capital city. So to be holding referendum it just seems a little bit absurd. And I think it it gets into maybe what Lisa was just saying that, you know, that Putin is not is, is perhaps in a, in a bigger in a, in a stronger position of weakness and in a, in a more we, in a weaker position than we had originally expected him to be in. And so in this position of weakness is pushing these referendums before those territories are even really truly held by Russia. In addition to that, I know this morning when I was anchoring the news as we're talking on September 21st. Our top story was that Vladimir Putin had called up 300,000 reservists and there's always saber rattling from Putin and his and his people, but they they went out of their way to talk about nukes and Lisa. What do you make of this? Is this, this all seems to me just as a layperson this is coming seems to be coming from a position of weakness. Like he has to he has to saber rattle. He has to do all this because nothing's going his way. Yes, yes, I would agree that. So what is what's interesting in what he said is and, and how this is linked to the referenda is that he is saying that any action that the Ukraine takes against Russian territory will be seen as not only Ukrainian action, but Western action and an attack on Russia that then could provoke a nuclear response. Melissa, I'm curious, how did. Everybody, when I say everybody, I mean like the military industrial complex, NATO. How did we all, how did everybody overestimate the power of the Russian army so badly? Was it just because of all the bluster and, and they were so aggressive, you kind of assume, but much like a bully, you punch them in the mouth and all of a sudden they're crying for the teacher? Is that kind of what we're seeing here? I mean, if you look at the Russian military on paper, it looks really strong. They have 1 million soldiers in active duty. They have 2 million reserve soldiers. Since Putin came to power, he's been pouring tons of money into their military. I think the United States and then China and Russia spend the most on their militaries and, and on an annual budget sort of way. 
but I think at the same time, you're also kind of going back to that traditional military history lesson, where is the, 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 the country that is attacked is the one that has the most interest in repelling the invader and is going to put all their passion and everything they can into repelling that invader, which is what the Ukrainians are doing. Those who are fighting in Ukraine from the Russian side are still having to be convinced somehow by the propaganda that this is the right thing to be doing. And I think there is a lot of indifference in Russia. There are some right-wing nationalists who have been spinning this as a war that Russians should get behind, and some do. But there are a lot of people who are quietly against it. There are some people who are publicly against it and now getting arrested. But I think that this new move of calling up I mean, Sergei Shoigu, the Minister of Defense, said 300,000 out of that 2 million that's on, on reserve. That's that's going to impact people in a different way. Those are people who are who are leading their regular civilian life. And then all of a sudden they're going to get a call. Hey, you have to go to fight in Ukraine and, and, and maybe die there. I think we're going to see what kind of impact this has on the Russian people if people push back more than we've seen so far. I'll ask this to both of you. So I'll start with you, Lisa. I, I feel like since this started, there has always been a Oh, there's rumors of a coup in Moscow. It was hot on Twitter a, a couple weeks ago. And, you know, oh, Vladimir Putin's got blood cancer and he might not last the summer. Like, there's always been this, the, the oligarchs are, aren't happy and Putin's in trouble. And how strong is his grip? And, you know, is there any, any chance of people shaking loose or, or something happening internally? I can't imagine that he is not weakened internally, but still. The idea, given how much he he controls the political and economic game, the oligarchs really don't have power over him. He has power over them. They they exist at his pleasure. But this this system can fall like a house of cards if enough people in power with with some power decide to challenge at the same time. Melissa, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, the way that he's blurring history here, right, that somehow you're they've got the collapse of the Soviet Union, but you also have the, that somehow the, the, the territory of Russia is going to be ripped apart, even though the territories that are about to have a referendum were not ever part of the Russian Republic of the Soviet Union. This constant blurring of history is what he does all the time. And so I think now all of a sudden we're, we're twisting again, where he's look, he's, he's making claims, for example, that it, there are Western leaders, we're not sure who, who are threatening Russia with nuclear war. They're threatening to attack Russia right now with, a, with nuclear weapons. There, there just is no evidence of that. But I think that kind of stuff also shows maybe a little bit, again, of his weakness, that he's having to make, you know, even more and more outlandish and and ridiculous claims to try to gather people and support around him. So if you look at that, it looks weak to me. It's just absolutely impossible to predict what will happen in the future with him, if he will, you know, if this war will bring him down or not. It's, It's really difficult to tell. We need to take a break. We will continue our conversation with Dr. Lisa Balione and Dr. Melissa Chekars right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You got to understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavitt story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals at Cadence 13 Studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And we are back continuing our conversation with Dr. Lisa Balione and Dr. Melissa Chekars of St. Joseph's University. President Zelensky of Ukraine, who has become kind of a global leader now, he has become, you know, his his rhetoric, his social media presence. He, he seems kind of for a guy who was an actor, basically, who ended up as president. He seems like the perfect leader for a 21st century war that is waged in large part on social media. I keep waiting for him to slip up. And boy, he just seems to hit all the the right notes. Yeah, I think he's done an, an excellent job of, of, of just what you described. I mean, I think his actually his acting background has has given him the ability to to in, in, play a part of a, a victorious leader of someone who is you know passionately and effectively working to save his country from an invasion. I think the social media he has surrounded himself with advisors and people who know about social media, and also maybe people, some of them are his old friends who he's known a long time, maybe through acting. So he he has surrounded himself with people who are very interested in making sure that public opinion stays in a positive way with them. The the way that he he nightly addresses the nation has been mimicked in other regions and towns across Ukraine so that other mayors of other cities and and, essentially governors of of various regions are also giving their people a, a weekly or nightly address. And people in Ukraine are relying on those. And many of those people maybe not having power in a, in a war zone, but they're somehow maybe every once in a while able to charge their phones and look at those messages and giving them hope. I think he has been really, really successful with that. And there were opportunities for him to leave. I mean, he had opportunities and, and he didn't leave. Just thinking of, of his, the way he dresses, right? So he's not wearing suits now. He's wearing green t-shirts and fatigues and, you know, he's touring and he, and he keeps popping up in different places around the country. He'll pop up at the front, you know, and and rally the troops, you know, and, and you're asking if he's, if he's going to trip up. I don't know. I mean, so far he seems to be on quite a roll. So it's, it'll be interesting to see moving forward. You guys referenced the the way the West has stuck together, and I think President Joe Biden's got to get a lot of credit for that because, I mean, number one, we're throwing weapons and money out the door almost quicker than we can make them. But it's really, I think it's it's become a at this point kind of a hallmark of the the Biden administration foreign policy, the job they have done in in providing weapons, providing funding, and kind of galvanizing NATO to 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 rally around this. Uh, Lisa, what are your thoughts? I would say absolutely. I see it as the Biden is bringing back the traditional American approach to European security. And that approach was on hiatus during the Trump administration. But it before that, it was the approach of Democrats and Republicans, that we are united and stronger together against threats. And that this idea that we, that the United States doesn't benefit just as much as the pieces of NATO, each of those states benefit, no, stronger together. And I I would say that Biden has done a great job. and, And I think he appreciates the folks from all across the, the ones from across the aisle that will will stand with him. And that's been really important that for the most part, not entirely, but for the most part, there's been bipartisan support. And I'll just tell you that constant flow of 
of money and aid and actual artillery and, and other weaponry is what has allowed the Ukraine, what allowed the Ukrainian armed forces to be able to plan for the, the offensive. And then also hats off to the Europeans so far. You know, it, it could be a very cold winter. And I mean that like inside their houses and the efforts to shore up gas supplies or other supplies are really important for keeping everybody on board. And my final question for each of you, I'll start with you, Melissa. What do you think right now is the most likely end? Because I'm seeing a lot of people military planners who are saying Ukraine could and is likely going to win this. And that means like Russia out with their tail between their legs. How do you see right now, as you look at the lay of the land, what would you say at this point is the most likely outcome? I think I'm not as optimistic as that uh, idea that Russia's going to just run away. I think that what Putin is doing right now with mobilizing 300,000 you know, soldiers, I, I don't think he is going to run away. And I think he's going to dig down in the Donbass in particular. He's going to try to take some of the gains that he's made in southeastern Ukraine. And I, I don't I don't see this ending anytime soon. I think what's really disturbing is also, you know, this threat of nuclear war. And, you know, today, Biden and other leaders are at the United Nations making speeches and they're, you know, they're telling, telling you, telling Russia that what it is doing is illegal. It's taking the world once again to the brink of nuclear war. I mean, this is, you know, Russia mobilizing soldiers for the first time since World War II. There's a lot of really dangerous things I think that are happening right now. So as much as I would like to say that this is over, I, I just don't really see the end at this point. And, and Putin has had, I think we've, we've talked about this in our conversations, the three of us before, that he's had a lot of exit points where he could have gotten out of this. He could have backed down and he just hasn't. And then, you know, today, giving that speech in Russia, you know, I, I, I just I'm, I'm not sure where we're headed, but, it, but I'm nervous about it. Lisa? My worry is, is that Putin has shown how vicious he is. I mean, I go back to Chechnya, what he did to Chechnya. I would not put it past him to do that to parts of Ukraine, the Donbass, and if he if he is worried about losing them. Uh, and and what's so sad is that he would primarily be hurting the people there who are sympathetic to him, unless unless the prayers of many are answered and Putin is somehow brought down. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.